Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, we do thank you for being the God of Joseph. We pray, Lord, that as we study this morning that you would show us more of how you were Joseph's God, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Genesis chapter 50, verse 15, we're gonna start here, and we're gonna read this, rather, for background. Genesis 50, verse 15, till the end. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. Joseph wept when they spake unto him. His brethren also went and fell down before his face and said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear you not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, children also of Mahir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Okay, so the, 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 what we're going to focus on this morning is verse 22. Where This is where we come to now. Verse 22, where it says that Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. So this is now we've come really to the last chapter, not just the book of Genesis, but the last chapter in the life of Joseph. And this, this verse here in particular tells us that Joseph dwelt in Egypt, and then it makes a point of saying he and his father's house. And it's an amazing statement because it causes us just to sit back and just think about that. I mean, think about what that's saying there. I mean, how is this possible? We look back at Joseph, and how is it possible that he could, at the end of his life, be together with his brothers, his father's house? What he's gone through, and the brothers thought the only glue that held Joseph and the brothers together was the father, was Jacob. And so now that their father was dead, in, in verse, verse 15, they thought, it's all over now. When Joseph's brethren saw their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and requite us all the evil which we did unto him. 
So Joseph's brothers were sure that now that their father was out of the way, that Joseph would be coming after them with a vengeance on them. They thought that because that's exactly what they would have done. And they expected Joseph just to be just like them. That's what the Lord said about Israel in Psalm 50, verse 21. When when the Lord said, Psalm 50, verse 21, these things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. So they were, that's what, that's what the brothers thought about Joseph, but they were wrong. They were wrong because Joseph had something that they didn't have, which was God's mercy. He had mercy on them. He, he showed grace to them. God, uh, Joseph showed mercy by not giving them what they really deserved, which was retribution or imprisonment for the rest of their lives there, which he had the power to do, just like God shows us mercy by not giving us what we deserve, which is an eternity in hell as the prison for eternity. That's mercy. And and Joseph showed them grace in giving them what they didn't deserve, which was to continue to live in this best land of Egypt. This is the land of Goshen. Just like God shows grace to us by, by giving us what we don't deserve, which is heaven. And so, so here they are. They're, this is a family that has had such tremendous damage done in relationships. And when you, when you just go back now and just think in our minds of this history of damage that's been done, it looked irreparable. How could this ever be repaired? When we remember things like Genesis 37.3, Genesis 37.3, where it says, now Israel, or Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, the brothers hated Joseph, and could not speak peaceably unto him. I mean, the brothers hated Joseph so much that it was that they could not carry on a peaceful conversation with Joseph. I mean, what would it have been like to have lived that way in such close proximity to his older brothers as, as because Joseph was the second to the youngest. And, and you know, you can imagine that, that Joseph passes his brothers and they shove him. They shove him and they accuse him, you shoved me. And, and how many times was Joseph, when, when the father wasn't around, how many times was he beat up? And then so well, he just fell down, he bruised himself. You know, how, how many times did, if Joseph tried to speak to his brothers every time and it turned into this tense argument. I mean, he was in a constant warfare in his own home with his own brothers. And this is a miserable life for Joseph when he was growing up. He found more peace being a slave in Egypt than he did living with his brothers at home, where he was constantly bullied and argued with. And the only one who didn't bully and argue him with him, it, it was his younger brother, Benjamin, and so that made one against ten. And it was just miserable. And, and then it, when it says in Genesis 37.5 that Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren, it says they hated him yet the more. In, in Genesis 37.5, it says they hated him yet the more. I mean, just imagine how when Joseph, Joseph thought, well, they can't hate me anymore, that he tells his dream and, and it increases their hatred. I mean, this is really a, a picture of the Lord Jesus who said in, in John 15, 22, John 15, 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they had not sinned, but now they have no cloak for their sin. 
He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now they both seen me and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. That's what he said. He said, he, he said if, it, it, it's just like Joseph could have said the same thing. If I hadn't told them the dream, then they wouldn't hate me more. And the Lord Jesus said, if I hadn't come and, and, and pointed out their sin, then they wouldn't have hated me. But the Lord looked at them. He looked at the Jewish people. The Lord Jesus looked at the Jewish people exactly the same way as Joseph looked at his brothers. And we can just imagine Joseph trying to reason with his brothers and ask them, why do you hate me? And Joseph had to come to the same conclusion that the Lord Jesus did, which was, you hate me without a cause, which is what the Lord Jesus said. And then in Genesis 37, 8, Genesis 37, 8, it says, his brethren said unto them, said unto Joseph, said unto him, shalt thou indeed reign over us? Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. So Joseph tells them the dreams that is showing in the future that Joseph is going to reign over them. And for them, that was over the top. That was over the top. That really fumed. That really inflamed their anger. And that's the way it was with the Lord Jesus. It was when, when he said that he was going to reign over them or have dominion over them, in the future, because he was God, that's when they wanted to kill him in John 10. John 10, John 10, 10, 30. John chapter 8, John chapter 10 is just this inflaming of the anger and the attempts to kill him. But in John chapter 10, verse 30, he said, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him. And Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you for my father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. What they really meant was that you are saying that you're going to reign over us, just like the brothers said. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be broken. Say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe me, not me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hands. What was all that? That was the Lord Jesus trying to reason with them, trying to get them to think, trying to get them to be rational, just like Joseph with his brothers. He, when he said he was going to reign over them, they hated him more. And there was no cause, again, no cause for Joseph's brothers hating Joseph. So then the full bloom of the hatred of Joseph's brothers, it came out in the desert when the father was far, far away, 100 miles away. And in Genesis 37, 18, Genesis 37, 18, it might have been the father, might have been a million miles away as far as they were concerned when it says when they saw him afar off, even before he came nearer to them, brothers, they conspired against him. They conspired against Joseph to slay him. They said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. We will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. 
So their father's not there, and his brothers conspire to kill Joseph. And we can imagine the terror on Joseph's face when he was caught by them as he saw, they really want to kill me. And Joseph is crying, and Joseph is pleading with them, don't kill me. And so this terror and this anguish is is so much on Joseph's face that that was burned into their minds, into the brothers' minds, so that decades later in Genesis 42, 21, Genesis 42, 21, they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress had come upon us. So they saw the horror, the terror, the shock on Joseph's face as Joseph cried and begged them not to do it. But they had such a hardness of heart that they threw him into the pit and it made him happy to think he's going to die a slow death, thirsting to death in the hot desert. It's better than, a, better than just cutting his throat. And so imagine how Joseph felt after his brothers throw him in the pit and they're so unbothered by what they did that it says in Genesis 37, 24, Genesis 37, 24, they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. They sat down to eat bread. So imagine Joseph, how he felt. He says, they're so unbothered by what they did to me. They said, uh, let's just have lunch. They didn't even take their appetite away. And then they decided, well, you know, let's make a few pieces of silver on this. And so they bring him out of the pit and they sell him as a slave. And they could do all this, the brothers, and they could get away with all this because their father was far, far away. Well, now the tables have turned in Genesis 50. And there's, there's like a repeat here because now instead of being in the desert far away from Jacob, now they're in a, a Egypt. And as far as the father is concerned, in Genesis, in verse 15, Genesis 50, verse 15, when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they, they, they said, he's going to hate us. So before, it was the powerful brothers who were alone with Joseph without the father in the desert. Now the tables have turned. It's the powerful Joseph who is alone with the brothers in Egypt, and the father is far, far away. And so the brothers are afraid of what Joseph is going to do to them. Now, and this was such a pattern that went on in their lives of them hating Joseph that when Jacob was on his deathbed, really one of the, the few, one of the last words that he said in Genesis 20, uh, 49, 23, 49, 23, he said the relationship between his sons, the brothers of Joseph, and Joseph was like archers constantly shooting arrows. He said that in, in, in verse 23, Genesis 49, 23. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. So all of this is a backdrop. And the reason I'm kind of going through this, I'm not, you know, not just trying to you know, dig up the mud again in this whole history, but it's just to show how amazing verse 22 is. Because what verse 22 is saying is that they're united now. They're reconciled. I mean, there's so much loaded in those words when it says Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. Because these now were days, years of reconciliation. And, you know, and when we read something like this, it speaks to our hearts because it shows us how terrible it is to come to 
our last days and be at odds with anyone. And that's why the Lord said, don't do that. The Lord said in Matthew 5.23, Matthew 5.23, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. So it's interesting how the Lord put that. He didn't say, if you come and you make an offering and remember that you have something against some, someone else, then go make it right. But he knew because he knew, you know, the way we, the way we work is that if, if we're asked, you know, the Lord says, you know, do you have anything against anybody else? No, not me. I don't have anything against anybody else. I'm, I'm fine. But so the Lord said, I'm not asking you if you have anything against anybody else. What I'm asking you is if anybody else has something against you. You know, and if you don't think that's right, then go ask them. And the Lord said, that's the ones you need to reconcile with. And, and so this is what makes verse 22 so beautiful. Joseph could have said, well, I don't have anything against my brothers, but maybe Joseph's brothers still envied him and still hated him and still held, held something against him. So verse 22 shows how Joseph just cleared it all. And he reconciled and his brothers, and they were living together in peace. And this is amazing. So it's beautiful to not just be in a state where you can say, I don't have anything against anybody else, but in a state where you can say, nobody has anything against me. It takes work. It's, it takes work. It's not easy. It's the work that Paul was talking about when he was on trial before the Roman governor. And Paul was explaining about his life and what he really worked at. And he said in Acts 24, 16, Acts 24, 16, told the governor, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. He said that. And that was, that was hard work, to always make sure that, you know, and that's how we should see sin. Sin is not just, oh, I was told not to do it. I did it. Oh, what am I going to do? No, sin is an offense to God. It's, it's, it's very offensive to God. So Paul, in describing that he's trying to, he wants to keep himself out of sin, he says, I'm trying to have a conscious void of offense uh, to God. And then he says, that's not the only thing I work on consistently and all the time in my life. I also work to have a void, conscious void of offense to man, which means I, I don't want other people to be offended at me. Now, there's something he couldn't help offensive, but it didn't have to do with him. And that's what's called, what he called in Galatians 5.11, Galatians 5.11, I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. So there is an offense of the cross, and we can't do anything about that. There's an offense of the gospel, there's offense of the cross. The Jewish people are offended at me because of the cross, because of the gospel. I hope that's the only reason they're offended at me. I don't know, maybe probably they say a lot of things are offended at me, but I don't know. But anyway, and I can't do anything about that. Now, we're told, we're told now in verse 22, in verse 22, that he was reconciled. And then it says, Joseph lived 110 years old. Now, maybe that seems like a long life to you, <laughs> 110 years old. Maybe you say to yourself, I don't want to live to 110 years old. <laughs> but anyway, and that's, or maybe you'd say, oh, that'd be nice, you know, I'll make it to 110, I'll be sitting on that 
porch there just rocking away, you know, to really not be 102. All of a sudden, someone's going to come and says, happy birthday, you're 110 years old. I am? Oh, okay. But it seems like a long time, 110 years old. But really, when you consider the lifetime of his family, okay, it goes like this. Abraham lived, you know how long Abraham lived? 175. You know how long Isaac lived? 180. You want to know how long Jacob lived? If you want to know anything, ask him. <laughs> okay. 147. Okay. So there you got the, the family uh, longevity. You live a long time, and you got genes that make you live a long time if you're in this family, right? 175, 180, 147, and Joseph only lives to 110. So, oh, it's, you know, and he dies relatively young. <laughs> How old was King David when he died, Clint? 70. He was 70 years old. Just 70 years old. So good men don't always die old. In fact, maybe you say bad people die old because God's given them a long chance, you know, to turn around anyway. But sometimes it's the mercy of God to remove his child from earth. And God explained this in Isaiah 57.1. In Isaiah 57, 1, God said, The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart, and merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. And this was the message that God sent to King Josiah. The king of Judah, he was one of the best kings there was, really good king, turned the people back to God. But God was still going to bring a judgment uh, uh, so, and so, so God sent a message to King Josiah in Second Kings twenty two eighteen. Second Kings twenty two eighteen, where God says, "But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord." When thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord, behold, therefore I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And so God told King Josiah there that he's going to bring him home early. He's going to bring him home early because God knows that terrible times are coming. And God says, I just, I don't want King Josiah to see that. It's just going to really be bad for him. So, so he's going to take him home early. And he was a young man when he died. Clint, do you know how old Josiah was when he died? 39. 39. He doesn't always get it right. <laughs> Close enough. He was 39. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was 37. He was in his 30s. He was one of the best kings ever. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, creation museum, and tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104 or sign up at reachisrael.com That's reachisrael.com What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30pm at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 